If you love bards, you love supporting and buffing and debuffing, and or you love doing damage to multiple enemies at a time in combat, then you're gonna love this video. Welcome to D4. Hey everybody, so here at D4, each week we take a deep dive into one, sometimes two, specific character builds for our favorite RPGs. We theorycraft about them, we crunch numbers about them, not so that I can tell you the right way or the best way to build a certain character, but to explore one potential way to build them with the hopes of creating something that is both really fun and also powerful to play in-game. So if you enjoy creating characters for your RPGs, almost as much as you enjoy playing the actual game itself. Or if you're just looking for tips or ideas on how to build a particular character you're thinking about playing, then welcome home. This is where you belong. I am so glad you're here. Thank you for being here. My name's Colby. Really quick, if you would be interested in getting a step-by-step -step written cheat sheet guide to this build and all of the other builds that I create on this channel, so that you don't have to go back and rewatch the video or take notes, and or if you're just looking for another way to support the channel, I'd really appreciate it if you would consider joining as a member. There's a little button down there that says join. For $2 a month, you get access to the library of write-ups that I create for each and every one of these builds to make it easier for you to recreate them yourself if you want to. And it really helps me out too. So huge thank you to all of my channel members. Couldn't do this without you guys. And to everybody else, Thank you too for being here. Just watching and liking and subscribing and clicking the little notifications bell are also really great ways to support me and the channel, so thanks for being here. So, last week I talked about the Dungeon Dude's latest series of videos that give tier rankings to all of the multi-class combinations with each individual class. That video, last week's video, The Tasmanian Devil, was inspired by their dive into multi-classing barbarians. As they said, barbarian plus monk was pretty bad and it really made me want to make one. Well, yeah. This week, I'm drawing on my inspiration from the same dudes. In their recent bard multi-class tier ranking video, you can see it right here, they said this. I feel like Colby has done something crazy with this. I mean, Colby's done something crazy with everything. Colby finds the exceptions to the rule. Yes. Uh, but that's just what Colby, D, D4, D&D, &D, deep dive, check them out. Uh, great build, guys. I, yeah, I feel like Colby would be able to figure this one out. He can I, figure it out, but it's still a D tier. It's a D tier unless you do Colby's specific build where he somehow combines wizard and bard and makes a perfect... Yeah. I feel like Colby is like the exception to everything because he finds... He finds the secrets. Yeah, he finds the secrets. Oh, man. I freaking love those guys. <laughs> anyway, at that point in the video, they were talking about bard and wizard multi-class. So at first I thought maybe for this week I was going to try and do a bard wizard multi-class. But then I actually realized I've actually done a couple already. The first was the control freak, which paired an enchanter wizard with an eloquence bard, among other things, to create what I actually think still to this day is probably my most powerful character ever made, even though they do zero damage. Definitely check that one out if you haven't seen it. I actually played that character in a one-shot recently, and they so trivialized every encounter it was a little ridiculous. But then I also did an ultimate re-roller character a while ago, uh, the Fate Weaver. That one was an eloquence bard 
plus a divination wizard to make a character that practically guaranteed an enemy would fail their saving throw. Although that build had a lot of monk levels too, since I wanted something really cool to make the enemy fail their save against, namely Stunning Strike. Anyway, I almost tried to do another bard wizard today, but in the end, decided instead to let that Dungeon Dudes video inspire me toward a different bard multi-class, the Bard Ranger, which the dudes gave like a C and a D to. I think Kelly gave it a C, Monty gave it a D. I'm not sure if I've ever combined these two classes in a build before, but if I have, I can't think of it. If you think I'm wrong, let me know in the comments. Anyway, it's been a minute since I've done a bard build, and the idea of combining these two classes really got my juices flowing. I don't think all of my D&D builds in the next couple of months are going to just always be drawing inspiration from this Dungeon Dude series, but they might. <laughs> I just love the challenge of trying to come up with a way to take two classes that seem bad together on the surface and trying to find a way to make them work. Now, I have a really big caveat here. The reality is that even though this character will primarily be a bard, and yes, they will have ranger levels, we actually are going to be taking a different multi-class before we get to ranger here. So it's not really fair to think of this as a direct response and attempt to disprove the dudes and their qualifications of this multi-class combo or anything like that. And for what it's worth, I think I agree almost all of the time with their tier rankings. I just like to try and find exceptions. So yes, my ideas for this character were definitely inspired by the Bard Ranger multi-class challenge, but after several hours of thinking and planning and crunching numbers, those numbers just look better if we take a different class before Ranger, and as you all know by now, I am a little bit beholden to the numbers. My spreadsheet overlords. As for the concept that we're building around here, a few months ago, I did a wildfire druid that was a cleaver build. I think that was my last card for the week already. And I really, really loved that character build. I made them do damage to two characters per round, fairly sustainably to pretty good effect, I think. Well, today we're going to do something similar. We are making a bard that is a bard first and foremost, which means you'll be singing, orating, inspiring, debuffing, supporting, and controlling if you want. But then, yes, once in a while, as I so often love to do with my support and utility-focused characters, you're going to be rocking the socks off of not just one, but two baddies in a glorious burst round of Nova damage. And so, I proudly present the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Not 42, but the Swords Bard Cleaver. Huge thanks to my good friend Randall Hampton for the fantastic artwork that he came up with for this concept. He does this every week. He's amazing. If you would be interested in following him to see the other stuff that he does, or reaching out to him to see if you can commission him to create some art for your character or even your entire party, I will put links in the video description, as always, on how to do so. Thanks, Randall. And before we jump into the build, let me read you guys the description for this character that the team over at Describe has come up with here since they are the sponsor for the video this week. Clarion notes from a pan flute ring out as a leather-clad warrior flies into the fray, their blade writhing with green fire and gray ironwood flute in their free hand shimmering, tongues of the green fire erratically sparking from the pipes. The rapier slices across the chest of a foe in a blaze-tailed sweep. The adversary screams as the viridescent flame consumes 
consumes them. The melody of the flute hangs in the air until, at a crescendo, a gout of fire jumps from it to another target and sets them ablaze. The warrior thrusts their rapier through the enemy's chest, a refulgent staccato ending in a blast that sends the body backward to land with a crunch on the ground. With a lissom swish that brings the glowing blade to their grim face, the warrior stands still between the smoldering corpses. Oh, that is so good. For those who don't know, Describe is a fantastic tool that lets players and DMs alike get professionally written descriptions of pretty much anything you can imagine wanting a description for in a TTRPG game. Settings, yes, but also characters, attacks, dialogue that your player might say, spells, magic items, etc. And if it hasn't already been written, you can request that they create something for you with the hero subscription, with the right subscription level at least. But even with a free account that's available to everybody, you can get access to thousands and thousands of searchable descriptions in their massive library that grows every single day. And yeah, as I love to talk about, they provide so much more than just box text-like descriptions, including maps that are fully VTT compatible and include descriptions of both the map location in general as well as individual places within the map, like this new Forge map that's part of the Endless Dungeon series. It's so awesome. You can get fantastic character illustrations drawn up for your character here too. This is an additional paid service, but the artists that they connect you with do such fantastic work. Check out this latest, a druid with a giant yellow chicken. <laughs> I love it. And the best part, of course, is that when you commission artwork here, Describe writes an amazing character description to go along with the illustration. And in this case, they even paired it with the Druid theme music from their new Sonic library that is my favorite thing on Describe right now. They've added professionally created ambient sound to go along with so many of their amazing scene descriptions, and that is growing every day. It just adds another level of immersion for you and everybody else at your table. Go check them out if you haven't. Sign up for a free account, if nothing else, and use this URL there, uh, describe.com d4. That way they know I sent you. I will put that in the video description, of course. And don't forget to use the promo code d4 at checkout if you do decide to purchase a subscription of any kind to get 10% off. Big thanks to Describe, love you guys, and let's jump into the build. At level one, for our starting class, yes, believe it or not, we are actually going to start off with a bard. I love bards. I truly do. And if we're building a swords bard intended to do damage, I think we're pretty obligated to just beeline to level six with bard to grab that extra attack as soon as possible, at least in my case, by the time we get to that first damage report. So yes, when we first meet our champion, they are, I think, a bit of a traveling minstrel or troubadour. This one might even have spent some time in the Fey Realm, or at least among their elven kin, because yes, for our race, we are in fact going not high elf, but high half elf. Dang, three weeks in a row without variant human or custom lineage. Keep the streak alive, baby. Yes, half-elf with a high-elf sub-race is the absolute perfect racial choice for what we want to do with this character. As much as I would have loved a free feat, going this route just brings us too many great things to pass on. And for those of you who occasionally ask, yes, there are sub-races for half-elves, just not in the player's handbook. Check out Xanathar's Guide to Everything, among other books. They're all listed on D&D Beyond. Anyway, 
Why half elf? For the superb stat bonuses, for one, they get a plus two and two plus ones, right? And of course, for access to my favorite feat. So why high half elf? Why for the free cantrip that they can optionally get? So when you take this sub race, you can choose to either take skill versatility for extra skill training or take the high elf weapon training or take the high elf free cantrip that high elves get from the wizard spell list. And that is the option that we want. As for that cantrip, we are going to take Green Flame Blade, which sadly isn't actually available for bards typically, and is just absolutely perfect for the concept that we're building around. Letting us make a weapon attack when we cast the spell, and then doing extra damage to both our targets, at least once we hit level five, and to a target within five feet of the enemy that we hit. Yum, yum, yummy. As for our starting ability scores, I'm assuming we're going point by as always, and recommend that we go 15 dexterity and take our plus two there, a 12 constitution, a 15 charisma and a plus one there, and then a 13 wisdom and our final plus one there. Yes, you can assign your racial bonuses wherever you want to ever since Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. And yes, that low-ish constitution score hurts. I wish we could have gotten to at least a 14, but Dexterity is going to be our most important stat for damage. We've got to get a good charisma score or we're not gonna be very much of a bard, right? And a 13 wisdom is required for ranger levels. So we might as well get it to 14, which we can just barely do thanks to half elf. And I mean, you know, a decent perception and wisdom saving throw bonus never hurt anyone. As for our starting equipment on this character, I'm going to recommend going the gold buy method as usual and say let's buy ourselves a rapier, some studded leather, and then we're going to need a one-handed musical instrument, right? Eventually our weapon will act as a spellcasting focus for us, but for right now at least I love the idea of swinging a sword in one hand and holding maybe like a pan flute or something in the other so that we can skewer our enemies and then play an enchanting little tune while casting spells all at the same time. So as a bard at level one, we get that all important bardic feature, a bardic inspiration, which tells us that charisma modifier times per day for now, we can use a bonus action to inspire an ally within 60 feet who can hear us. They get a bardic inspiration die, which is a D6 currently, but scales that they can use sometime in the next 10 minutes to add to an attack, a save, or an ability check of their choice even waiting until after the roll to decide if they want to use it. Such great utility, such fantastic support, and for what it's worth, I really love how D&D 5.5 is supposedly going to be changing this to be used with our reaction. I just think it's a lot more useful, and it lets the bard feel like they have control on what they're inspiring, right? As for the spells that we get as a bard one, I kind of feel like we always have to go with Vicious Mockery on bards because it's only available to bards and it's just so fun. It's just a d4 of psychic damage that gives the enemy disadvantage on their next attack if they fail their wisdom saving throw, but it just provides so many great and potentially hilarious roleplay opportunities. Aside from that, Healing Word is available to bards now ever since Tasha's and yeah, it's kind of the best healing spell in game, so I sort of think it's a must-have. Silvery Barbs is really strong, too strong if you believe the angry mob, but I mean, a spell that we can cast with our reaction to force an enemy to re-roll their attack or saving throw is, yeah, hard to pass on. Sleep is fantastic in the very early game to knock out your enemies, but 
Fairy Fire is going to be our go-to concentration spell for a bit here. It hits all creatures, yes, including allies, so be careful, in a 20-foot cube with a glowy light if they fail their dexterity saving throw, and then they are prevented from benefiting from invisibility, and also all attacks against them are made with advantage, so long as you hold on to your concentration for up to a minute. At level two, we get Jack of All Trades, which I adore. With this feature, any ability check we make that doesn't include our proficiency bonus gets to add half of our proficiency bonus rounded down, yes, including initiative rolls as they are considered an ability check. Enjoy that while it lasts because it's planned to be gone in 5.5. Yeah, Jack of All Trades makes bards pretty decent skill monkeys without even trying too hard, and it's just some really nice utility. Song of Rest, which we get here also, is a nice support feature, letting us add a d6 in healing whenever our allies spend hit dice during a short rest to recover hit points, as we tell a lovely tale, or sing a soothing song, or maybe just play them something enchanting and relaxing on our pan flute. I really hope you bards out there roleplay this when it happens. Let me hear your song. Tell me a story. At level 3, we get the very fantastic Expertise, which lets us take two of our skills that we are proficient in and simply double our proficiency bonus for them. I'm going to say go ahead and pick your favorites here, but I'd personally probably go with Acrobatics to keep from being grappled, and maybe Perception as it's just so often called upon, right? But it also feels to me like Performance is kind of a must-have for Bards, assuming that you are often finding yourself playing in taverns for coin and such, but regardless, PYF. And then, yes, we get our bard subclass here, our bard college. And, as I've said, we are going swords bard. Probably my favorite bard subclass, I suppose, since I love gishes so very much. And swords bards, yeah, make some really fantastic gishes. Spell swords. As a swords bard, then, we do get some additional proficiencies. Proficiencies with the scimitar and medium armor. Probably not going to be using the scimitar unless we, for some reason, had like a really nice magical scimitar. But for medium armor, yeah, the best medium armor that money can buy, half plate, would give us a 15 AC plus a max of 2 from our dexterity bonus which is a 17, that's better than Studded Leather's 12, plus an uncapped dex modifier, which for us right now is only 3. If you didn't have Magical Studded Leather, definitely go ahead and switch to Half Plate if and when you can afford it, unless, of course, you're concerned about the disadvantage that that would give you on your stealth checks. Once we cap our dexterity at 20, then the AC is going to be the same either way, Studded Leather versus Half Plate, right? But yeah, getting to 20 dex is not going to happen for quite some time on this character, unfortunately. Also, we are told, yes, that our weapon can now be our spell focus for our bard spells, which is really nice, though we don't have anything to do with that other free hand at the moment, since no, I'm not planning on dual wielding, and we don't have shield proficiency yet. So yes, speaking of that, we get a fighting style here as a swords bard, and we only get two options, dueling and two-weapon fighting style, and yeah, I'm gonna go dueling, which adds two damage to our weapon attack if we're only wielding a single weapon in one hand. Here's the thing. Two-weapon fighting is nice. It lets us add our ability score modifier to the damage of our bonus action attack when we're using two-weapon fighting, right? Normally we can't do that. And that would be slightly more damage than dueling with just a single weapon overall, but 
Bards love their bonus actions. Healing Word is a bonus action. Bardic Inspiration uses our bonus action. We have plans for our bonus action during our Nova round that does not involve two-weapon fighting. So I just kind of feel like we'd be better off committing to the Rapier here. The damage die is slightly higher than the light weapons required for two-weapon fighting, meaning that the overall damage increase that two-weapon fighting would give us is almost nothing. And going dueling leaves our bonus action available, and having a free hand just works better for this build, I think. But the most important thing that we get from Swords Bard, of course, and the thing that we're kind of building this character around is the Blade Flourish feature. This tells us that when we take the attack action, specifically, we get a 10-foot increase to our move speed. Nice. And then, once per turn only, unfortunately, can spend a use of our Bardic Inspiration to do one of three flourishes. Defensive Flourish is a wonderful option and both does extra damage to your target and increases our armor class by whatever we roll on our Bardic Inspiration die until the start of our next turn. Similar to Shield here, very strong and one thing that made the Bard Tank build I did a while ago so potent don't have any cards left for it, that's what the thumbnail looks like. I think this is kind of the go-to flourish here when we're not going to be cleaving during our Nova round. Mobile flourish, another option, is also awesome. It lets us do extra damage again as per our Bardic Inspiration die, but then pushes the target five feet plus the number we rolled on that Inspiration die, and lets us use our reaction to move up to our walking speed so long as we end the movement within five feet of the enemy we pushed. There's definitely some fun to be had building around that flourish, which I have on my to-do list. But then finally, the at first glance kind of runt of the flourishes is kind of gonna be our go-to during our Nova round at least, Slashing Flourish. This tells us that when we hit a target, we can add damage to them as per our inspiration die and to any creature of our choice within five feet. Now, sure, I need to put this in here. Doing as much damage as possible to a single target is more often the sound tactical decision in D&D 5e. Leaving two enemies alive, even if damaged, is usually worse for you and your party than taking one enemy out completely, even if that means leaving the other one at full health, right? One enemy at full health to take turns and potentially hurt you and your allies is usually better than two enemies at half health to take turns and potentially damage your allies, right? That said, there are plenty of times when doing damage to a couple of enemies would be preferable. If the enemies are numerous but don't have a huge health pool, focusing on single target damage might be less efficient. If one enemy is pretty close to death and you could take them out and do damage to a second target at the same time, that's also fantastic. Maybe focusing all of your damage on a single enemy might not be quite enough to take them out anyway, but softening them up and one of their allies so that your companions can remove each of them on their turns will also happen from time to time. This is all to say that, yes, there are plenty of times when hurting multiple enemies on your turn is a very good thing. And that's kind of what I love about building a burst damage focused character around this concept. Because you can Nova on demand and just wait until the time is right for you to lay into two targets and thus really turn the tide of the battle in your party's favor. Our goal with this character is to do just that. But then also be a solid damage dealer and support capable bard otherwise. I think that's my short. <laughs>
As for the second level spells that we get at Bard 3, I'm just going to say PYF, pick your favorites. Lesser Restoration, Shatter, Aid, Mirror Image, Invisibility, Hold Person, Heat Metal, and more. They're all great options here. None of them are going to be used by us during our Nova round, so yeah, have fun with it. At level 4, we get our first ability score increase for feet, and as much as I would love to bump our dexterity here, I think the first thing that I want to do, actually, is take the Metamagic Adept feat. Somewhat surprisingly, perhaps. You see, Green Flame Blade is great for doing damage to two targets, and certainly before we get to extra attack, we can use Green Flame Blade as our action instead of taking the attack action. But remember that we can only flourish when we take the attack action, and casting the Green Flame Blade spell is definitely not doing that, even though we get to make a weapon attack as part of the casting of the spell. So why did I want the spell so badly? First of all, I think it's our go-to action until we get extra attack outside of when we're flourishing. And also, because Quickened Spell exists in D&D 5e. So, sure, we could have taken three levels of Sorcerer to get Quicken Spell, but that is a really hefty investment, and we have lots of other things to be doing with our character levels. So instead, I say we take this Metamagic Adept feat. It lets us choose one Metamagic option from the Sorcerer list, and two Sorcery points per day to spend it on. And yeah, we want my favorite Metamagic, Quicken Spell. This lets us cast a spell as a bonus action instead of an action. So now, during our Nova round, we could Quicken Green Flame Blade with our bonus action, do damage to two enemies, and still use our action to attack, and yes, Slashing Flourish. Doing some pretty decent damage to a secondary target with two abilities now. That's so sexy. Level five is a big level for us. First of all, our Bardic Inspiration die increases to a d8 for more potent motivation and a little more damage to our flourishes. Better yet, Font of Inspiration here tells us that our uses of Bardic Inspiration reset on a short rest instead of a long one, and that's just so good. Letting us inspire a lot more frequently and feel like we don't have to be miserly with our encouragement. Finally, at fifth level, we get third level spells now, which are, I think, my favorite spell level in-game, generally. Just so much power. Fear and Hypnotic Pattern for incredible control. Catnap and Tiny Hut for amazing utility. Dispel Magic is always handy. Motivational Speech is a nice party buff, but slow. Slow is my favorite spell here at third level for this character especially. It requires concentration, takes an action to cast, but lets you choose up to six targets inside a 40-foot cube that must succeed on a wisdom save. If they fail, their move speed is slowed, they can't use reactions, and on their turn they have to choose between either an action or a bonus action, not both, and regardless of which they choose, cannot make more than one attack on their turn. Spells might take them two turns to cast, assuming they don't just lose the spell that they're trying to cast completely. They even get a minus two to their armor class and dexterity saving throws. And the reason that I love this spell so much, especially on this character, is 
I feel like with the vast majority of my spellcaster builds, especially the Gish builds, I'm often choosing between concentrating on a spell to bolster our damage or on a spell to debuff or control the enemy. Slow is really amazing in that it lets us do both. Throw down a massive, incredibly punishing debuff on a ton of enemies that really does a lot to make life for our entire party easier, which is kind of what you're usually bringing a bard to the table for, right? And simultaneously, it increases the average damage that we, not to mention the rest of our allies, do to the enemy by lowering their armor class. All of that said, when I crunch numbers next level, I'm actually going to assume that we're still using Fairy Fire. <laughs> fairy Fire is worse in many ways. It allows for a dexterity save, which is a worse saving throw for us to be targeting on average for most enemies in 5e, and it can affect friends and enemies alike. Whereas with slow, you pick who gets affected, and you can probably hit more bad guys with it too. All of that said, for pure damage purposes, if we have advantage on our enemies, our damage numbers just look better than if we're simply lowering their armor class by two. Don't worry, after this first damage report that we're about to get to, we will have a different way to get advantage, and at that point I am going to be assuming that we're using slow, at least for a while. And of course, you can use slow starting now, and generally speaking, it's going to be better for your entire party than Fairy Fire will. I just like exploring the limits of what's possible, damage-wise, as always. Oh, finally, don't forget at this level, Green Flame Blade does do an extra 1d8 damage now to our initial target and the creature they are standing next to, as well as our Charisma modifier, right? But level 6... Level 6 is just as good for us as level 5 was though because we get counter charm. Wait a second, counter charm sucks. Right, sorry. Level 6 is awesome because we get extra attack. <laughs> okay, sure. Counter charm is kind of lame. We have to use our action to then give advantage to our party on their saving throws against fear and charm effects. But I mean, hey, kind of like I talked about in the Tasmanian Devil Monk Barbarian build last week, it's not the only thing we get at this level, and so getting what feels kind of like a free feature, even if it's only marginally useful once in a while, isn't something that I feel like we should really be complaining about as much as we do, present company included. But yeah, the really wonderful feature we get here is extra attack, of course, meaning that we can attack twice when we take the attack action instead of just once. And that brings us to our level six damage report. So here's what I envision combat looking like for us at this level. We will want to start off the combat encounter with fairy fire or slow, of course, most of the time. Depending on where the enemies are standing, when it's your turn, you might want to wait until you can get more of them in the spell's area of effect. But once you've got them debuffed and are ready to go Nova on two enemies standing next to each other, we simply quicken Green Flame Blade, making an attack on the target who's easier to hit. If there's a difference that we know of, doing 1d8 damage for our Rapier, plus 3 for our Dexterity, plus 2 for Dueling, plus 1d8 for Green Flame Blade, then plus 1d8 plus 3, our Charisma modifier, to the second target, and then we attack that same target, assuming they didn't die with our first attack, doing another 1d8 plus 5 to them, 
two times, again, unless there's good reason to make one or more of those attacks on the secondary target, right? Adding a slashing flourish the first time we hit to do an extra d8 of damage to our target and their friend standing next to them. And yeah, one of my favorite things about both of these abilities here that are damaging a second target is that so long as we hit the first one, the second one just takes the damage. So if one of them failed their save against fairy fire or slow, but the other succeeded, or one is prone and the other isn't, etc., well, just hit the one who failed and enjoy the free extra damage to the second regardless, right? In the end, if everything hits here, we would be doing a total of 78 plus 18 damage between two enemies. And yes, I'm assuming that we have advantage on our attacks, so hopefully we've got at least one enemy who failed their save versus your fairy fire. If not, lower your expectations slightly. But under that assumption, against an enemy with a 10 armor class, we would on average do 52 total damage here, and against an enemy with a 15 armor class, it would be 46 damage on average. And okay, that's not bad. Compared to other multiple enemy Nova builds I've done to date, that puts us in the upper half by comparison. Check the video description to find those comparisons, spreadsheets, graphs. And keep in mind that the builds that are doing more damage here are doing damage to three enemies, so our damage per enemy is pretty competitive with the best of them. And importantly, I think, most of our damage is, potentially at least, going to a single target, which really might help us kind of finish off someone who's close to death while still doing most of our damage to someone else, right? Oh, and by the way, compared to slow, fairy fire is only a little bit better here, though the difference does grow as the enemy armor class increases. At this level, slow would be 49 damage versus a 10 AC and 39 versus a 15. Okay, there are lots of exciting things to come for our Bardic Cleaver, so let's keep going. So, at level 7, having secured extra attack and third level spells and counter charm, I think it's time to add some more cleave and nova abilities to our character, no? So, at this point in our character's career, they are feeling really great about their ability to sing and soothe and enthrall, but with their martial prowess on the rise, they're wanting to focus their efforts on improving that particular skill set exclusively for a time. So yeah, I don't know what your reasons might be, but we are going to take fighter levels here as we almost inevitably must. <laughs> of course, you don't have to. Feel free to go straight to ranger right now. It's not a bad choice. Fighter just brings us a little better burst damage and also gives us some cleave ability and potentially advantage so that we can use slow with our concentration. So I really wanted to go fighter first, personally. So first of all, importantly, when we multiclass into fighter, we gain shield proficiency, which we didn't have before. And since as a swords bard, our weapon counts as a spellcasting focus, I don't think there's any reason not to start using a shield right here to gain a nice little plus two to our armor class, right? And yeah, that said, you should definitely consider starting fighter on this character if you're going to take fighter levels at all. So you can have constitution saving throw proficiency for better concentration checks and access to like better armor and shields right from level one. I just didn't want to get to level six without extra attack, but those of you not beholden to a damage report at level six, feel free to do otherwise. We then get second wind once per short rest. As a bonus action, we get a d10 plus our fighter level in healing here. Just one more reason I'm glad we're not doing two weapon fighting, because again, another 
thing that we're going to want our bonus action for. We also get another fighting style at Fighter 1, and I think I would take Superior Technique. It lets us learn a maneuver from the Battlemaster Maneuvers list, and gives us one Superiority die to spend on it once per short rest, though it's only a d6 instead of the usual Battlemaster d8. Feels a little weird. The maneuver we will be learning is, yes, Trip Attack. This tells us that when we hit with a weapon attack, we can force the target to make a strength save against our dexterity based, for us, DC, and if the enemy is large sized or smaller and they fail that save, they are prone. We also get to add the superiority die in damage. So yes, right at this point, I'm going to start assuming that we're using slow for our concentration instead of fairy fire. I appreciate that the enemy might not be slowed or prone if they make their save, but yeah, I'll be assuming that they have failed both because trying to account for both enemy save DC and armor class is more work than I want to do. Sorry. The numbers are really close, and you probably have magic weapons by now anyway, so it's not like they're going to be exactly precise to what you're experiencing in the game. Anyway, giving the enemy a minus two to their armor class and getting advantage on your attacks since they're prone is just so very, very delicioso. Not to mention the slew of other penalties you'll be hitting them and their allies with thanks to slow. So good. At level 8, we'd be a fighter too, and yep, that means we get action surge, you know it, you love it, well, maybe you hate it because it feels a little too good. But regardless, we can now take two actions on our turn, once per short rest, thanks to this probably overpowered ability, and that's going to mean five attacks during our Nova round, if you include the one we're making with Green Flame Blade. Wunderbar. At level 9, we would be a Fighter 3, and that means we get our Fighter subclass, our Martial Archetype, and yeah, I think we gotta take Battlemaster. We need more maneuvers and more superiority dice, because as a Battlemaster here, we get to pick three additional maneuvers, and we get four more superiority dice per short rest to spend on them, which yeah, are D8s. As for the other maneuvers we should pick up here, I think I'd go with my second favorite, Menacing Attack, which also does extra damage and can potentially cause the enemy to be frightened of us, which is a really strong debuff. But the most important one for us to be taking here, of course, is one that I don't think I've ever talked about on this channel before, Sweeping Attack. Now, to be honest, I think there's a pretty good reason that I haven't talked about it before, and it's because in a build that's not focused on damaging two enemies at once, it's not usually that great. You simply do your superiority die in damage to a target standing next to the one you hit. I really wish they'd let you do a d8 to both, like the slashing flourish, but c'est la vie. Also, with this maneuver, your attack roll has to be high enough to have hit that second target, so it's not just automatic damage like with our other cleave abilities we've been picking up so far. Still, it's totally on point for this build, and yeah, there might be times when it will make sense to use it, like if either the target you're attacking or the one standing next to them are almost dead and you just need a little bit of a nudge to push them across the river sticks. As for the third maneuver to get, I mean, you're a bard, I'd probably pick up a support or a buff option, yeah. Commander Strike might be my favorite in that case, which lets you forego one of your attacks to let an ally make an extra attack with their reaction. That's especially great if you have a rogue in your party, since they would be able to apply sneak attack damage on that reaction attack, right? Anyway, at level 9, it is time for our next damage report. Since last check, we have added some really nice things to our Nova round. Action Surge, 
the ability to knock prone for advantage so we can use our concentration for slow, and either an extra d6 or a d8 of damage to potentially every single one of our attacks if we wanted to blow all of our superiority dice in one glorious round of cleaving carnage. You, of course, should be more conservative with your resources. In the name of science, I am not. And so, against enemies with a 10 armor class here, we would on average do a total of 96 damage during our Nova round. And against enemies with a 16 AC, it would be 89 damage. And wowzers, that's about double since last check with just three little fighter levels. It kind of keeps us in the same place compared to other multi-target Nova builds, just about average. And yeah, feels really good to be so close to the century mark here. We're gonna get there really soon. Because at level 10, yeah, we're gonna be a fighter four. I think we should take one more fighter level because there's an ability score increase or feat just waiting for us right there. And I have delayed elven accuracy for far too long. <laughs> and yes, that is what we're taking here. It's one of the reasons I wanted to go half elf. It's the best feat ever, letting us bump our dexterity by one putting it at an 18, finally, and then yes, when we make attacks with our dexterity, charisma, intelligence, or wisdom, and have advantage on the attack, we can basically roll three dice instead of two, and that's just so good. There's an argument for taking this before Metamagic Adept, back at level four, frankly. It's definitely better for our sustained damage. I just really wanted to add Green Flame Blade to our Nova Round as quickly as I possibly could, since it's a great two-target damaging ability, perfect for our cleaving selves, but yeah, go ahead and take Elven Accuracy first if you're more concerned about your sustained damage. And in that case, the argument for using Fairy Fire over slow is that much stronger, right? But at level 11, yes, we finally are going to get to the promised ranger levels. This is where our character's love of nature, perhaps influenced by their elven heritage and or earlier wanderlust, starts to really get the better of them. They want to keep their focus on developing their martial prowess, yes, but are also, for some reason, drawn to either like a closer study of nature or maybe developing their ability to track their enemies or enemy. Maybe this is fueled by some particular baddie or group of baddies that you are hunting and trying to become an expert in defeating. I'm not sure, but yes, like I said, if you wanted to go ranger earlier instead of fighter, you totally could. Missing out on action surge is a blow, as is not being able to trip, but ranger is actually going to do more to increase our sustained damage to two enemies than fighter would. Not to mention, give us a little bit better spell progression and support and utility capabilities. So it's by no means a no-brainer decision here. Only, I think, for those of us who are primarily driven by the burst damage numbers. At Ranger 1, then, we get the Deft Explorer Canny feature. This is the better optional feature that has come to us from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything that basically gives us expertise in one single skill. So now we've got expertise in three skills, and again, go ahead and pick your favorite here. We also get favored foe, which bugs me, frankly, but it's better than the player's handbook favored enemy, I think. Favored foe lets us proficiency bonus times per day, mark a target so that we do an extra d4 of damage to them once per turn. It requires our concentration, and that's what bugs me about it so much. 1d4 once per turn is pretty much never worth our concentration, unless you're just out of spell slots. So I guess in that case, go for it. Don't forget, at level 11 here, Green Flame Blade goes up to 2d8 damage to our target and their friend. 
at level 12. We would be a ranger 2, and we get a third now fighting style. I think I'd probably go with defense fighting style here to raise our armor class by one, but interception would not be a bad choice at all either to let you add a little more supportiness to your bard, letting you prevent some damage with your reaction to a nearby ally. But that said, blind fighting might actually be the best choice of all of them. It's only situationally useful, true, but when you need it, man is it good. It basically gives you blindsight, but only to a range of 10 feet, even letting you see invisible creatures. So yeah, if you're in a dense fog or a magical darkness or fighting a creature who is otherwise heavily obscured or invisible, blind fighting is going to be a lifesaver. And speaking of which, yeah, we do get ranger spells at this level, and I think I take Absorb Elements for some elemental defense, Good Berry for some nice utility when you're out of rations, plus a pretty efficient heal. And then you might want to consider Fog Cloud. There's a trick here, right, with blind fighting that I actually used in the Gunk build, uh, the Gunfu Monk, where you cast Fog Cloud, which heavily obscures everything in the area, meaning you can't see them, they can't see you, but yeah, if you have blind fighting, you can, so you have advantage on all of your attacks, they have disadvantage on attacks against you, right? It works similarly to Devil Sight and Darkness, and comes with the big huge caveat that going Devil Sight and Darkness also comes with, right? In that it could severely hamper your allies as well as your enemies, so use this with extreme caution. I will not assume that we're going that route for this character. Finally, yes, I feel a little obligated to mention Hunter's Mark. You cast it as a bonus action, it uses your concentration, and thereafter you do an extra d6 of damage to your marked target with each weapon attack until they're dead, at which point you can transfer it to someone else with another bonus action. Surely we wouldn't want to be using this for a concentration now, right? Right. I'm gonna use it anyway. <laughs> When you crunch the numbers, yes, you get a little more damage out of Hunter's Mark than you would out of Slow, especially since we're making five weapon attacks on our Nova round. Your entire team will love you a lot more if you slow your enemies, no doubt. But I mean, hey, maybe you're out of third level spell slots, right? I don't know. I'm just a guy crunching numbers in a vacuum. Don't get mad at me. It's the numbers fault. And I mean, it's not a terrible spell to have, especially, say, in a fight against a big bad who you know you're just going to be making attacks against for several rounds, and they're probably going to make their saving throw against your slow spell anyway, right? Hunter's Mark doesn't allow for a save. A good backup option to have. At level 13, we would be a Ranger 3, and that means we get the Primal Awareness feature, again from Tasha's, which basically gives us the Speak with Animal spell for free, and lets us cast it once per day without spending a spell slot even, which is some nice occasional utility. And then we get our Ranger subclass, our Ranger archetype, and we are not going with Gloomstalker, though it probably is the best overall hunter subclass, I think. And yeah, I think Kelly from Dungeon Dudes might have been onto something when he talked about a Gloomstalker Whispers Bard in their video. That's definitely on my to-do list as well. But no, we are a Bardic Cleaver. Also, we're a park ranger singing songs around the campfire, not an emo goth ranger singing songs of gloom and despair. Right, so... Hunter. Hunters get the Hunter's Prey feature, which simply lets us choose one way to enhance our future attacks. Colossus Slayer is the most popular option, letting us do an extra d8 of damage once per turn to our target so long as they're not at full health. Giant Killer is kinda bad, by comparison. Anyway, it gives you a reaction attack against a large or larger creature who attacks you whether they hit or miss. If it didn't come with that large or larger caveat, I think it'd be worth trying to build around. 
And then, of course, there is the glorious and delicious Horde Breaker, which we will be taking since it tells us that once per turn, when we make a melee weapon attack, we can make another attack against a different enemy, yes, standing within five feet of the initial enemy. And for those of you who are counting at home, yeah, this means that during our Nova round, we'll get to make six attacks on our turn. Two for our attack action, two for action surge, one for horde breaker, and one green flame blade attack with our quicken spell bonus action. And let's see what that looks like in our level 13 damage report. Since our last check, we have added that sweet, sweet sixth attack via Horde Breaker, raised our dexterity to 18, and picked up Elven Accuracy for triple advantage on our tripped target, added another D8 to both targets from Green Flame Blade, and yeah, sure, a D6 of damage on each one of those attacks thanks to Hunter's Mark. And thus, against enemies with a 10 armor class here, we would on average do now 150 damage during our Nova round, and against enemies with a 17 AC, it would be 145 damage. And while that's pretty solid, keeping us well above the century mark, even at higher enemy armor classes, we are slipping just a bit compared to those other multi-target Nova damage builds that I've done, making us more just kind of right in the middle of the pack instead of like the upper half of cleaving attacks potentially doing most of our damage to a single enemy. So arguably functioning a little more efficiently than those other builds. Most of which were doing, yes, like I've said, total damage to three enemies as per my calculations. And yeah, we're bringing a whole slew of fantastic bardic support and utility and empowerment with us along the way. At level 14 though, I think it's time to go back to Bard. We've honed our martial prowess, we've communed with nature, but we are going back to our roots to take what we've learned and incorporate it now into our perfect song that we've been searching the world over for. Ooh, maybe that's why we became a ranger. We were searching for the perfect song, the greatest and best song in the world. And now we've found it. So we need to take more bard levels in order to give it the proper performance that it deserves instead of just a tribute. <laughs> oh, that's good. Regardless, as a bard seven here, we get fourth level spells. And go ahead and PYF. Nothing we would use here for our Nova round, but of course Polymorph and Dimension Door and others are fabulous options. At level 15, we would be a bard eight, and that means another ability score increase or feat, and so yeah, we finally get to cap our dexterity at 20 here. I definitely regret not having done this sooner. To say nothing of raising our charisma modifier. That makes me a little sad. But at level 16, we would be a bard nine. That means our Song of Rest very curiously scales to a D8 here. I have no clue why it doesn't just scale with our Bardic Inspiration die, but oh well. And then we have the vaunted almighty fifth level spells. Dominate Person, Greater Restoration, Hold Monster, Synaptic Static, and even Raise Dead, actually, which is our first resurrection spell available as a bard. So grab that if you need a resurrection backup. But yeah, these are all fantastic spells and should be considered, but the one we're going to focus on is Animate Objects. I used to love this spell, but now I'm starting to feel a little bit about it as I do Conjure Animals. It's kind of annoying. To be fair, it's less problematic than Conjure Animals. 
it doesn't get quite as out of control with the number of creatures you can control with the spell, and the animated objects are more often tiny, so they don't take up as much space on the battlefield, though sure, I guess you could do velociraptors with conjure animals. Still, many would argue that we should have beelined straight for Bard 9 for this and the other really great 5th level spell options, right? But here's the thing. As I've mentioned in other videos, animate objects isn't just a no-brainer choice for our concentration here. Enemies with powerful AOE, area of effect abilities, or spells can just wipe them out. Also, enemies who are resistant to attacks from non-magical bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage are going to resist the damage that your objects do, making them way less effective. In the end, yeah, depending on the enemy AC, depending on whether or not they have resistance to the damage, depending on whether or not they have a powerful AoE ability, it's potentially a great option here for our Nova round, letting us animate 10 objects that all get to make attacks, right, at a plus 8 to hit, doing a d4 plus 4 damage each. To say nothing of the increase that that will give our sustained damage numbers when we're using the spell. But I am actually planning on using something else entirely for our next damage report because at level 17 we'd be a bard 10 and that means burr, 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 magical secrets. Another great reason to potentially just stay straight bard. Magical secrets lets us take two spells of fifth level or lower from any other class's spell list and yoink now they're bard spells. I think the one I would most want to have is probably Spirit Shroud. If we cast Spirit Shroud as a 5th level spell, it would do an extra 2d8 of damage to our target for each hit. Plus, it also slows creatures within 10 feet of us by 10 feet and prevents enemies we hit from regaining hit points. It's a lovely thing, and is especially lovely for those of us making 6 attacks during a Nova round like we are. And since we have Elven Accuracy and a much higher likelihood to hit our target than our animated objects would, not to mention that Spirit Shroud can't be as easily removed with a fireball, nor have the extra damage resisted against most enemies that we're fighting, especially at this level. I think Spirit Shroud's just going to be the better damage option, especially during our Nova round. As for the other spell we should take with Magical Secrets, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, while the Force is so amazing, right? So great for control. We don't have Counter Spell, such a potent spell. Find Greater Steed if you want to ride around on a Griffin. You can get it before Paladins do, even. I think I probably lean Counterspell here if I'm likely to be concentrating on bolstering my damage for reals instead of using my concentration to control the battlefield. But you tell me what you'd pick in the comments, please. Also, at this level, our Bardic Inspiration increases to a d10, that's wonderful. We get another round of expertise, so pick your favorites, two more skills there for a total of five now, that's fantastic. And finally, Green Flame Blade gets its last bump up to plus 3d8 damage to both our target and their friend. And so, for our final damage report here, since last check, we've seen a bump to Green Flame Blade, a bump to our dexterity, a bump from our concentration spell since we're using Spirit Shroud over Hunter's Mark, doing 2d8 extra damage now on every attack, and lots of other wonderful bardy, supporty, utility-based options as well. But against enemies with a 10 armor class here, we would on average do 204 damage during our Nova round, and against enemies with an 18 AC, it would be 
200. So yeah, we broke that 200 barrier, even at a decent enemy AC. And compared to other multi-target Nova builds that I've done to date, we're still in the same place, kind of in the middle of the pack. And you know what? That's a really great place to be for an all-singing, all-dancing crap of the world. All right. Let's break it down in the final thoughts. The tier score for this build, if you take all of the damage that they do at each of the enemy armor classes that we calculated for at each of the four damage reports, and just average them all into one number, we end up with a 112, and that is third place out of admittedly only six builds to date that are multi-target Nova builds, right? So yeah, I'll take the bronze medal. And hey, we're the only Gish on that list unless you count the Dragon Monk, who ended up with just like a couple of cleric levels right at the very end, so I don't think they count as a Gish. And we're also the only Bard on that list, bringing all of that fun support and utility and jack-of-all-trades flavor that only a Bard can really bring. Now, thinking of the Dungeon Dudes again, and the original inspiration for this video, the question that I think Monty especially would want answered here is this. Does all of this multiclassing get us a better character than just going straight bard would have? The answer, of course, is it depends. If you want to primarily be a bardy caster, mostly supporting and controlling and debuffing while, in the case of the Swords Bard, making some frankly mediocre weapon attacks sometimes when there's nothing else better to do, then sure, go ahead and get to those higher level spells quicker, right? You'll be a really good spellcaster. For me, and I've said something like this before but in my Bladesinger videos, if I'm going to be playing a spell sword, then I'm not really comparing myself to a full caster class that's primarily here to cast spells to control my enemies and things. I'm comparing myself to like a fighter or a barbarian or even a rogue or a ranger or a paladin, a character who is primarily a weapon damage dealer looking for ways to enhance their weapon attacks through spells while also enhancing what they bring to the battlefield in the way of utility, support, buffs, debuffs, etc. And in that scenario, heck yes, this Swords Bard is way better than, say, a straight fighter or ranger, in my opinion. And while we might have been able to get even more sustained damage out of a straight Swords Bard, at least when we hit level 9 or 10, thanks to animate objects and or spirit shroud via magical secrets, right? If we want to build a bard, who can support reasonably well and lay down some fantastic burst damage by cleaving into two bad guys in the most heavy metal way possible, then yeah, I think this build here outshines any other version of a bard that we could make. So that's the build for the week and I hope you guys enjoyed it. I had more fun building this one than I've had making a character in quite some time actually. I hope you know that I love you. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for all that you do for me and for the channel. I hope you have a really great day and a great week but if you don't I hope you hang in there and I hope that you stay safe and be good and kind and that I see you again really soon. But until then, take care. Can the child within my heart rise above? Can I sail through the changing ocean tide? Can I handle the seasons of my life? Oh.
But time makes me older Children get older I'm getting older too Favorite version of Landslide? I'm sorry, Stevie Nicks, but I think it's gotta be either Smashing Pumpkins or um, The Chicks. And, and, and I think I gotta go with The Chicks. I just, I, I love the harmonies so much. They're just gorgeous. And if we're building a swords bard, oops, <laughs> you don't know that we're building a swords bard yet. Oh wait, yeah, you do, I said it in the title. <laughs> I always do that. <laughs> One enemy to take turns and potentially hurt you. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. For mo. For mo. <laughs> to potentially just stri. Uh, if either the one you're attacking. Uh, so. There's a little plant over here, but it's just off camera. But with their martial prowess on the rise, they're wanting to focus their efforts on improving their martial prowess. That's weird. And then we get our hunter. <laughs> and then we get our ranger subclass. Don't say that. Don't say that. Definitely don't say that. <clears throat> don't even say that, because that's like a booby prize. Where did that colloquialism come from? <laughs> Booby price sounds amazing. 